So this uh, passage that I'm going to read this morning, which is what I'm going to speak from as we launch this series, is uh, Romans 12, verses 1 to 8. And this is uh, a passage all about God's heart for us. If we want to sing, Lord, you have my heart and I will search for yours, that leads us perfectly into this text because uh, this is uh, all about God's heart for us. If we're searching for God's heart, this is where we find it. So I'm going to read these verses. This is Paul writing to the people in Rome. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, we, uh, we change, don't we? Uh, a few years ago, and in fact many years ago, when I was about 12 or 13, I used to be probably what was, it wasn't called this, but you would understand as an altar boy in the church that I grew up in. The church that I grew up in was quite a traditional and formal Anglican church, and uh, we had a robed choir and all the ministers and vicars and everybody, they all wore robes. And then uh, there were some uh, young boys and girls, sort of 11, 12, 13, who were trained to be these people who also would dress in uh, fancy clothes and uh, would be sitting at the front doing all the stuff that needs doing in a, in a church like that, lighting the candles, putting them out at the end, uh, collecting the communion and, uh, as it was processed down the aisle and passing it to the vicar and all of this kind of stuff. And... Uh, there is a video of me doing that uh, because we were on ITV's morning service and I was the altar boy for the day. And uh, there is a video of, of that service, which I have refused to show to you today. <laughs> yeah, if you're good, maybe one day. But what you would notice if you saw this video is how much I've changed since I was 12 or 13. When I was 12 or 13, I had a mass of thick black hair. I was a gangly, thin teenager. Yes, really. I know it's hard to believe. I had NHS specs and fluorescent socks. Now, look at me a few years later. Who'd have thought it? Thinning gray hair, much better specs, I'm glad to say. Not quite so thin and pretty normal socks, really. We change, don't we? We change and transform. And not just in our physical appearance over the years. We change in lots of other ways too. And through this series that we're going to be doing together over the next five weeks, 
We want to encourage one another to change and transform our attitudes. So there's not much we can do about our physical transformation. That happens. But there's a lot we can do about changing and transforming our attitudes. Because, you see, the reality is we are programmed or preconditioned with certain attitudes. Now, if you've ever been sailing, you know, on the sort of modern sailing boats they have, if you read any of the stories about some of these amazing people who sail solo around the world, there was that young boy, wasn't there, a few months ago, Ellen MacArthur, of course, we know well. They have an autopilot on their boat because they're alone and they have to catch some hours of sleep at some point. And they have an autopilot on their boat which steers the boat for them. But what it lets them do is uh, override it by moving the big wheel they have on those yachts to change the course of the boat. But as soon as they let go of the wheel, it goes back onto its autopilot course. So if they need to rush up in the middle of the night and change quickly because of big waves or whatever, they can do that. And then when they let go, the boat goes back onto autopilot. So the boat is preconditioned to go in a certain direction. And it can be changed for a little while to go in a different direction. But as soon as the sailor uh, takes their mind off what they're doing or lets go of the wheel, the boat steers back on to its course. And of course, if a boat is left on autopilot too long, it can have catastrophic consequences. So if a boat is left on autopilot without... uh, a course correction, and not just a course correction that then lets go and diverts back, but a true course correction, then it can have catastrophic consequences. And just like that, we are conditioned, we're programmed, we're on autopilot into certain responses to certain situations. And different ones of us have different conditioned responses, and we learn them from all kinds of places. And many of those conditioned responses are not healthy for us. And if we could change them, then our lives would be better and healthier. That's why I've called the first part of this series, Four Steps to a Better Life. Four ways to ensure we have a healthier life. But like a boat on autopilot, we can change some of our default attitudes for a while, but unless we've truly changed and transformed will always steer back to displaying those default attitudes to the default position. So we need to do something different to change them. And over the course of this series, we're going to investigate four default responses that we often make, and we're going to talk about how we can be changed and transformed so that we change those default responses so we live a better and a healthier life. Now, I wonder how you reacted to the snow that we've had recently. I couldn't help but notice how different people respond in different ways. Here's what I noticed about that. Some in our society responded by looking for someone to blame. Did you notice how this went on? That the Met Office were the first people to blame because they predicted a mild winter. Then I noticed that our councils were to blame because they didn't have more than seven days stock of grit. Interestingly, I think, if they'd had 21 days stock of grit and we hadn't had any snow, we'd have all been blaming them for wasting our money and storing all this grit that we never need. So some responded with cynicism and judgment and blame to the situation with the snow. Some responded with huge disappointment and discontent about it. It forced them to stay indoors. They couldn't get out. 
So they couldn't wait for it to go. It was ruining their lives. Others, and I couldn't help but notice my children responded in this way, responded with joy and thankfulness because school was cancelled. And it was a great opportunity to go out sledging. So there was pleasure and excitement and hope in them. Others valued the opportunity to help each other out. Others who were forced to stay indoors enjoyed the time to chat to people on the phone or to contact them with emails or catch up with letters. Now, I realize that when we have snow like we've had, it does cause some genuine problems. But which group of people do you think were the happier and the healthier through that period? The second group, wasn't it? The group who responded with joy and thankfulness and hope. And I wonder if you ever find yourself reacting to situations, circumstances, or other people with cynicism or judgment or disappointment or discontent. These are very often the default reactions that we have, and actually we're programmed to have them. Our culture encourages us to go with these reactions and attitudes and for them to be our default setting. We're encouraged to be cynical by our media, sometimes with just cause, but often without. We're encouraged to judge one another. Look at John Terry in Tiger Woods recently. No one, it seems to me, is asking questions of compassion in those situations. How are their wives and family doing? How can we help them heal? Instead, newspaper headlines rage, telephone phone-ins are full of judgmental attitudes. We're encouraged, too, to be disappointed at things around us. And advertisers encourage us to be discontent because that's how they make us buy their stuff. But those attitudes ruin our lives. Think for a moment about the people you love to be around. I bet those people are people, instead of displaying those attitudes of judgment and discontent and disappointment and cynicism, are people who are displaying hope and love and thankfulness and contentment. People who, instead of displaying those attitudes, are not insecure about themselves, who are not pessimistic or judgmental. Those are the kinds of people we love to be around. Our default attitudes of cynicism, judgmentalism, disappointment and discontentment ruin our lives. They lead us into attitudes and patterns of behavior that are not life-giving, but are life-draining. Just think for a moment how your life would be if you were able to meet all circumstances, situations and people with gratitude, love, hope and contentment. That would change your life, wouldn't it? That's why God has so much to say about these attitudes. Because God's desire is that we live lives of richness and fullness and foundational joy. And over the next few weeks, we're going to explore each of those four attitudes. And we're going to talk about the antidote to them. But for today, I just want to encourage us to take up the challenge to stop and to turn cynicism into gratitude, judgmentalism into love, disappointment into hope, and discontentment into contentment. Because changing our default attitudes will lead us into a better life. Remember what Paul said in this passage that I read to you from Romans chapter 12. It starts like this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, Paul is urging us, urging the people he was writing to. He's saying, I urge you to take what I'm about to say really seriously. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
urging us to live lives that are holy and pleasing to God because God wants us to live great lives. God wants us to have the best for our life. God, this passage is not saying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice because God's a tyrannical dictator who will beat you over the head if you don't do it. God is saying because of God's mercy, because of his love, he wants us to live the best kind of life. And the best kind of life is what Paul is about to go on and say. He says, this is your true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. This is true worship, that we are being transformed. So when we come together, by the way, this is an aside, on a Sunday morning, the goal is life transformation, not having a good time. I mean, it's great if we can have a good time, and I think that's brilliant. But the goal is life transformation. It's why we sing the songs we sing with the words they have. Because they're supposed to ingrain themselves in us and be life-transforming as we are reminded about them. That's why we preach sermons, by the way, not because we like the sound of our own voices, but because we want to help each other to be transformed. That's the goal of true worship, life transformation. And Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of your world. This is your true act of worship, to not conform to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says, don't give in to the world which tries to drag us down certain routes, that tries to program our autopilot to go in one direction when God would like us to go in a different one. Paul is saying there is a better way to live than that, and it's to have our minds transformed. But how do we do that? How do we transform our minds? How do we turn cynicism into gratitude, judgment into love, disappointment into hope, and discontentment into contentment? Well, I think Paul gives us some clues in the rest of the passage. He says, think of yourselves with sober judgment. Now, what that means is to be honest with ourselves, to recognize when we are giving in to those default attitudes, to recognize the moment at which we need to stop and exhibit a different kind of attitude. Verse 3 also says, uh, think of yourself in sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. This is the second clue about how we can be transformed. It has to do with our faith. Faith that God can help us. Faith that God can change us. Now verse 4 and 5 talk about the body of Christ. We were talking about this last week about how the church is the body of Christ and what that means for the church. It's huge. Paul goes on to talk here about what being a body means. It means we're all valuable. Every member is important. We belong to each other. We have different gifts to bring to each other. And this is another clue as to how we can be transformed, that we have to use each other trust each other, value being a part of one body together, and look to help each other change and transform. I think this is a really significant question I'm about to ask. Have you got people in your life that you trust to help you to be transformed, who will challenge you, who will say to you, hold on, that sounds a bit cynical to me. You sure that's the route God would want to take you down? people around you who will do that for you. Because that's one of the key ways that we change, is to rely on each other, 
to have people around us who will help us. So I urge and encourage you, if you don't have those people, find them. Could be somebody from your small group. Could be somebody that you know well. Could be another Christian from another church who you're in contact with. Get together with them. Open yourself up and ask them to be that kind of person for you. It's one of the ways that we change. And the very final clue Paul gives us as to how we can be transformed actually comes back to the beginning of the passage, where in verse 2 Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. It's not a suggestion, by the way. Paul is saying, when you wake up tomorrow, if you feel like it, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but maybe embark upon some kind of life transformation sort of stuff. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, do not conform, be transformed. It's a command. So this is the final thing that we can take from here about how we are transformed, how our minds are transformed, and that is just to do it. Just to do it, to stop, and then to do something. So if we want, if we realize when we've looked upon ourselves with sober judgment that actually we do display cynicism, or quite often we are gossiping or judging other people, or very often we find ourselves disappointed and we'd like to be hopeful, or sometimes we find ourselves discontent with who we are and what we have, one of the key ways to transform that attitude is just to do the antidote to it. So if you say to yourself, you know, I realize I am quite cynical, and I don't always spot it in myself. So say to yourself, well, that's fine. I think the antidote to that is gratitude, so I'm just going to start being thankful. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to start thanking people or thanking God or looking for something to thank him for every day or every uh, hour or every half day or every week or whatever it might be. If you realize you're a judgmental kind of person, just start loving people. Just drop them a card, give them a gift, phone them up, send them an email. Just start loving people. Because, you know, often taking an action changes our feelings. And our changed feelings change an attitude. You know, love is a really good example of this. Uh, I think I'm right in saying this, that we're not called to be in love, but to love. And love is an act of will often, isn't it? Those of you who have been married for some time will know that sometimes loving is an act of will. And that actually by just doing something loving, it begins to generate feelings of love even actually if we didn't have them before. So just taking an action can change a feeling, and a feeling can change an attitude. So Paul's saying, do it. Do not conform, be transformed. So how do we be transformed these things? Think of ourselves with sober judgment. Uh, Stop. Trust that God can help us. Use each other, and just do it. Just do something. So next time something happens that would steer you down a path that you know is conforming to the pattern of the world, take those actions. Take those actions. That's how we change and transform. And this is really important stuff because changing our default attitudes will lead us into a better life. Now, I've read somewhere that it takes 21 days of doing something for it to become a habit. And that once something is a habit, then we do it without thinking. 
And I was quite cynical about that to begin with, I confess. I thought, 21 days to change a habit, that doesn't sound like nearly long enough, certainly for some of my habits. But actually, the other day, you know those bands, if you were here a few months ago, we did a series together before Christmas called Toward Wonder. And we were encouraging each other to stop and pause and look for something uh, to be in wonder about, to give thanks to God for. And we gave out those wristbands. Do you remember them? And one or two people still got them on, I've noticed, around the place, at the top of the class to you. And uh, we gave out those wristbands as a way to wear them to remind us that uh, we're supposed to pause and be in wonder at God. Now, I wore two, actually, for a long, long time. But a couple of weeks ago... I had to do a funeral, and I thought it would be a bit inappropriate for these things to be poking out from under my cuffed shirt. So I took them off and left them in the car, and I haven't put them back on again. And uh, I looked at them in the car about a week later, and I thought, oh my goodness, I haven't put them back on. How awful. Somebody must have noticed. But then I realized it hadn't stopped me doing what they were on my wrist to do in the first place, which was to help me pause and be in wonder at God. And I was still continuing to do that. So I haven't put them back on because I don't need them anymore. Because pausing for moments of wonder has become a habit in my life. And I just do it now. And so actually, my cynicism was unfounded. Because wearing those bands, doing it for, well, it had been a bit longer than 21 days, a couple of months, had forced me into a new habit, a life-giving habit. And it has definitely changed me. So it is possible, if we do something, to make it a habit and then for that just to be ingrained in our lives. And this series is going to take a little bit longer than 21 days. So we have time through this series to challenge each other to change our negative attitudes and habits and turn them into different default attitudes. Because if you want a better life, this is what will do it for you. And throughout the series, we're going to offer you things to help you change, to help you spot these negative attitudes and turn them into positive. But each of us has to take up the challenge. If you want a better life, if you want to be transformed, to live a life pleasing to God, the kind of life he would want you to live, then we need to take up the challenge to change these default actions and attitudes. We need to start doing something. And so we're going to start today. And Mike and Maggie are just going to come around now and give each of you a card. And it looks like this. And this is your challenge and take home from today. And it's got a huge big stop sign on it. As a reminder to you, when you start thinking about displaying these kind of attitudes, to stop. To stop. And the challenge for today is to learn this verse that is printed on these cards from Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that when we start heading down a route on autopilot, we stop and we remember what God says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why don't we say that together without looking at your cards, if you've just been given them. Uh, Why don't we say, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Once more, without looking at the cards. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's learn that verse together as the first point in changing our autopilot. That's the first challenge. 
to stop and remember that verse. Just imagine if by the end of this series, 28 days, 35 days, however long it is, by the end of this series, if we were doing this, if cynicism was becoming gratitude, judgment, love, disappointment, hope, and discontentment, contentment, think for a moment about each of our lives and the change that would be. Think about our church community exhibiting this. 400 people living this way. That would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? That would change some things, by the way, both in our own community and in the world around us. And most importantly of all, we would be living the lives God wants for us. We would be living the life that pleases God, that is a true act of worship. And others would see that, and they would want that too. Because changing our default attitudes leads us to a better life. Why don't we just uh, pause for a minute? We just ask God to help us. Maybe you can think, as I've been talking this morning, maybe you, even just today, even just this morning, have exhibited one of those default negative attitudes. Just take the moment of quiet to say sorry to God, to ask for his forgiveness. Lord God, help us to change. Thank you for your forgiveness. And we are sorry, all of us, for where we have displayed or exhibited those attitudes that have been about conforming to the pattern of the world, not living life pleasing of you. Lord, we thank you that you've reminded us that our true act of worship is to be transformed. And Lord, we want to pray that you would start the process of transformation in us right now. Lord, we need the power of your spirit to help us do this. Lord, we trust you. Lord, we know that there are some things we can do to stop, to remember that verse, to change our attitudes. But more than anything, we need you. We need your power, your spirit to be in us. So, Lord, come and fill us, set us free, encourage us, take, uh, help us to take out what we've been talking about today into this week. Not just to forget it, but to remember, to stick that card up somewhere where we can see it, to learn that verse and to begin the process of transformation. And over these next weeks, Lord, as we look at each of these subjects in more detail, would you continue the process of transformation in us, we pray.